Hi, and welcome to this edition of the Sanctioned Citizen Podcast. I am your hostess, Tempest Del Fuego. Just move this mic a little closer. So the top story this week is a rash of Republican-led legislation to ban vaccination passports in Ohio, Washington State, Idaho, Arizona, Texas passed their ban, thank you very much, and Florida, and probably more of those states are forthcoming. So I certainly endorse this move because COVID is, you know, running towards the point where it's going to be over, and uh, we've run the risk of a fiat-administrated identity mandate, you know, prevailing after the fact. So people have certainly had enough of COVID, COVID-19 uh, administration, and they deserve to get back to living normally. So for whatever it's worth, the vaccine passport ban sponsors have your back. Uh, I think you can trust this effort because you have to know uh, there were just a bunch of agitated people, and I'm, I'm going to say news people, just sitting around stirring crappy coffee at some equally crappy hour before daylight saying, mm, I'm not doing this. I've seen enough. Uh, I'm not having the vast vaccine passport crap. I wore the mask. I did the lockdown. I did the crazy rules. So no, no more. No vaccine passport. So it probably didn't help, not help that I called uh, COVID governance, COVID Sharia. Um, Republicans just need a little push, you know, and I, I think if you add Sharia to anything, then they just kind of go nuts. So I, I did my best. Um, so they're leading this effort because Democrats think the key selling point for the vaccination passports is that it's free and accessible. Compliments to the U.S. government, you know, to, to pay for all of this with your money. When 15 years in the future, whenever the economy with whatever we have or whenever they can print it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's just not a really great sale point because it's a, it's a it's an intrusion, and I don't think they really, I think they get it a little bit because they didn't go hard, they backed down almost immediately, and said we'll we'll get back down those uh, guidelines, you know, and hopefully if the we can de- declare the COVID pandemic over, then then they'll just they'll just say ah. Well, we don't need a passport now, which would be nice. Th- that would be lovely. So, but let's get back to the federal deficit because we were going to have to pay for COVID with the, with a the deficit. I'll, I'll just, you know, kind of speed bump over this really quick. Uh, the federal deficit has become a real skull crawler for even left of center Democrats. Now, the tax bills and inflation are going to go up. And that's going to shatter a fantasy that Jeff Bezos' 2% corporate tax donation slash mob extortion uh, donation will cover the effects of the U.S. pandemic. So they know that people whose income is around the 150K, 200K margins are going to get struck and struck hard by these tax sites. It's really tough to get out of the mouth. Uh, So... All you comfort creatures in your 40s and 50s carrying those COVID-19 pounds, you know, this is coming for your wallet. It's going to bite down on your college budgets and the extra things you might be used to. It means more loan debt and later retirement. So why not get creative? 
start talking to your elected representative about alternative sources of income generation for the U.S. government other than taxes. I mean, stuff like cutting waste spending, balancing the budget, selling off or auctioning old government memorabilia, uh, memorabilia sorry, to rich patrons or big museums to whittle down the debt or balancing the budget and other economic oldies like cut your spending now and no we can't pay for that uh, how about reorganizing unused appropriations from older funding bills to fund the deficit using government grants to manufacture novel sources of money like nfts or cryptocurrency trading and very limited and specific government investment portfolios to, dedicated to knocking down the deficit and you know, this would just to be for the sole purpose of advancing a green book for the American people. So we don't have to tax so hard. You know, April 15th is right there. That's the, that's the psychic marker for all taxes must be paid. So I'm going to just say this and get it out of the way. So speaking of skull crawlers or even big tech, um, go see Godzilla v. Kong. The the reviews have been mixed, but uh, they had some acting performances that are a little gummy and prop-like next to the special effects of the Kaiju Titans trying to kill each other. Uh, but there is an impact editorial in there on uh, Transpartisan Coalition and uh, Amazon trying to decide your future for you. So go see it. That's, that's my take on it. Um, I just think it's really fun to watch Godzilla do anything. Um, in fact, go see it twice in 3D and IMAX. It's a, it's a really a big screen show, and uh, so you'll need to go see that at your local AMC theater. I want to give a spotlight shout-out to Senator Josh Hawley for putting together some kind of anti-monopoly legislative suite um, out there to rebalance the scales with big tech. So thank you very much. So unless we do something, it's going to eat us. So support Josh Hawley even if you hate him. Even if you think he's an insurrectionist, he's working for things that are going to keep you free from uh, corporatist tyranny. So get a Democrat to go look at his legislative proposal and weigh in, get some balance and support weight around common cause. We all have to come down from the cloud sometime. So speaking of coming back to Earth, I want to admit out loud that I said some really mean words to the production team at Fox's Tucker Carlson tonight. I want to apologize for all the very mean, not nice things I have said to the producers in the past. You can disagree and still use civil professional language without abject profanity and name calling. I am very sorry for my misbehavior and, the, and abuse of the medium. I apologize. That being said, I do not in any way agree with Tucker's flaw premises or that his show should be canceled in any way because he said something disagreeable in public on his opinion show. The trigger issue was flyer identity and refugee migrant flyers, okay? So that's what started all of this. Everyone lost their sense of humor and suddenly, suddenly someone lobbed in Israeli-Palestinian relations like a punk cow pie and people really, really got pissed off. So some people threatened to cancel Tucker, who absolutely cannot cancel anyone on a rival network. Some of them were competitors, and then it got really stupid really fast. 
Um, it was kind of like on Anchorman when Brick threw the trident, killed someone, and stupid in the in the fight scene. So, unfortunately, everyone I know who is a little bit smart watches the show, and even when the show isn't smart, they still watch, and because it's an opinion show, they don't have to worry about the facts so much. <laughs> it's an opinion show, so people sometimes forget that. Opinion editorial lives in the world of public policy nerd LARPing sometimes. And when it comes to certain things like immigration and identity mandates, which obviously becomes a huge control issue for most Gen Xers and, and even most people. It's just a huge live wire. Um, so Tucker and the New York Times both posited things that were just not real policy and not true. But dumb partisan projections fighting over supposed partisan identities of asylum seekers and undocumented migrants that they would vote and be voters. And the New York Times claims that if Democrats can lick Central American border refugees candidates first, uh, they can get their votes and then Republicans won't want those voters. So, of course, conservatives who don't want any new Democratic voters or the immigrants went apeshit. It's all kind of a really stupid argument. Uh, but it's the only kind of stupid argument you can have with someone who works with either AEI or the Heritage Wonk Factory. Factory blah, blah, because why? Here's why. The asylum enrollees are compelled to comply with the rules of the refugee and resettlement process once they are admitted to the United States for residency. So this means they maintain a, a refugee national status of their home country while awaiting the safe right of return to their home countries, which is currently so unsafe they need refuge in the United States. They're here as refugees. They retain their nation citizenship in hopes that they can go home. So, this means that they do not vote as foreign nationals in our elections. Punto final. They don't vote in our elections. It is a deportable offense to vote in a U.S. election as a foreign national. Now, I first learned most of this from an Irish national volunteering on the Kerry Edwards campaign in, in 2004. He did not vote because <laughs> he was waiting on a green card and deportable offenses are a no-no if that's your goal. So none of this has changed. None of this policy as far as, you know, being applicable to asylum, refugees, immigrants. None of it has changed. So at all, in context of administrative policy, the forms you fill out, what the process that you have to wait on, but someone completely irresponsible at the New York Times wrote this agitorial bait and then left it out for conservative trolls. And then, blam, predictably, misinformation on national television. So for years, Center for Immigration Studies and other neoconservative... It's so hard for me to say that. Neoconservative and North American migration nonprofits have falsely claimed with negligible evidence that there is some army of La Raza undocumented migrants 
voting in U.S. elections to agitate. Who are they agitating? They're agitating conservative Caucasian nationalists. Okay, and these are the people who are lowing concurrently that there aren't enough white conservative babies. So, it makes them absolutely nuts. So, frankly, I believe they like to be insane over this non-issue issue because conservatives have not acknowledged two major discoveries that can solve their problems. At least not publicly. One is white babies sitting around in adoption agencies. And two, the most Central American, uh, who are migrant, you know people coming here either as asylees who are going to become citizens one day are religious conservatives and most of them will have babies or make babies so it's kind of win-win if that's your kind of goal you're manufacturing a republican base there all you have to do is advocate towards them but that's not really how they see it (laughs) so it's all horseshit political theater you know, the CIS, which is the Center for Immigration Studies, they're all liars. Border crossers aren't voting because they're too busy working as drug mules or low-wage farmhands with no extra time and sex slaves to pay off the coyotes. So voting in our elections is not real high on that list. Uh, La Raza are a bunch of communist racist demagogues who are really too busy throwing garbage on the American process. They're idiotic haters with a 501c3. I don't take CIS seriously, and I don't take La Raza seriously. But to be honest, both CIS and La Raza should go into a Thunderdome and kill each other off because I don't have to deal with this disinformation anymore if that happens. So, because this impacts my sovereign American identity rights when they go at it. They muddy the water, and they make it difficult for me to articulate my own rights. And at some point, we have to acknowledge that the American citizen does have identity rights. And they're not determined by pundits. They're determined by due process, legislative lawmaking, the courts, and an administrative state who has a responsibility to follow through on the agreed-upon processes that have been passed, you know, the test of time, and the ones that they're setting in front of other people and expecting them to commit to those processes. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of trans administration, you know, haymaking gets hyper-political. And, you know, over the last, I guess, maybe 14 to 16 years, you know, at least, immigration has been a real football especially southern border Latin American immigration, which I I feel like that has more to do with the drug war, but that's not really my policy strength area. All I can say is that um, if we got rid of the drug war, it's possible that the entrepreneurial uh, strengths that are being used for drugs and underworld activity might be better appropriated to things like, you know, manufacturing or uh, another version of a tech boom in the Latin American regions. I'm just saying, uh, because the same energies are here in America, but they're appropriated and channeled, I wouldn't say the most properly, you know, 
they're overbearing right now in context of, you know, corporations trying to to run our lives through the government and thread themselves through the government to, to control us and get paid to to watch us because that's part of their business model. Um, that's not really what we want, uh, but they're better channeled than you know, people who are going into homes and, and, and stealing the women and taking the children for human trafficking because it'll turn over a coin that day. Uh, that's certain desperation, and it's driven almost 100% by the drug economy. Um, so we have, we have some problems to deal with, but they're not going to get dealt with on this program for this particular uh, item agenda. So let me let me go back to to the the adversarial words and the exchanges between pundits because that's a safer area than the one I just talked about. Um, so regrettably, I've witnessed young grown-ups go straight for the cancel button, and they've had lots of you know example making you know currently from corporations. And from, you know, people that they've marched with in maybe BLM, you know, there's a lot of, you know, veiled politics through boycotting and canceling people's contracts and dropping people off of a cliff if you don't like what they're saying. Um, There's, you know, and then it got really kind of vicious because things that weren't necessarily racist or even sexist or, or any kind of crime... Just because the corporation or the or the political body didn't like it, they would slap a racist label on that person and then push them right off the game board. And that's what we've been seeing for at least six months. So, because now we're wise to that, uh, you know, that's what woke, woke culture has, has been become transparently. So, uh, we've watched young people try to hit the cancel button as a way to deal with their conflicts and debate is really the space it needs to go to. So it's one thing to stop watching someone's programming because you're no longer interested in their speech. You know, it's a totally other thing uh, when you have a weekly parody comic who calls for a competitor's cancellation, uh, which is why I called out HBO's John Oliver for his cancel call of Tucker Carlson. Okay, he had some adversarial words, which worked perfectly on Biden's undone, half-baked immigration rollout um, work between the legitimate asylum seekers, who are legal, in-process refugees trying to get to America safely, and the other desperate people crossing the Rio Grande, the New Mexican desert, and Arizona who won't engage the process because they don't want to get caught and then throw themselves into debt with uh, the cartel Cuisinarts who will make them a sex slave or a drug mule uh, just depending on the day of the week. So so here's what this goes to. Either he or HBO didn't have the gall or the stones to place his adversarial editorial to the Biden administration he was critical of the Biden administration's execution of, of, you know, immigration policy. So they didn't put that on the web. 
I mean, it was a really brilliant segment. It articulated things very cleanly, and I understood it, you know. Uh, but I couldn't find it to tweet it. Variety had a heavily edited transcript of his segment with no video. Um, see, Tucker can disagree with Democratic politicos because he has his own asylum on Fox News. Nobody's going to kick him off his program because it's a totally different network. And, and it's not run by, um, you know, Democratic politicos and leftists. Uh, but HBO, CNN, and other networks will still eat their own. You know, if they just step out of line or say anything critical of, of the, you know, someone that they like or in prevailing doctrine. So, Oliver has a weekly show. He gets once a week to really, you know, get his, his javelin in. And Fox has dailies that run opposition and adversarial programming to Biden's policy tableau. So internal opposition inside the Democratic Party is still utterly intolerant of any, any differences. But you're beginning to see that breaking up a little bit. You know, it's still a bad health check that the court jesters, even the ones in their corner, cannot responsibly disagree without losing their program or, or fear of their voice being canceled. So they're not doing the best job that they could be doing because they're, they're under a blowtorch and a pair of tongs. And that's wrong. And until that changes, the, the Democrats are the party of uh, government-born censorship pointed at the press, pointed at uh, creatives, and, and their speech. And that's really below the U.S. standard for free speech. That's, that's beneath us. We need to bring it up. We need to tolerate people's jokes. We need to tolerate being razzed. And, you know, Biden's been around a long time. He's got a tough old hide. I don't really want to cross him. You know, but, you know, that's more because he is the president and I want to show respect for the office. But if he behaves disrespectfully towards the people, goes outside the lines of the law, and say, you know, overcommits to a, a clearly unconstitutional agenda, you know, such as a case like, say, where there was mass surveillance and an identity grab and a massive dragnet on people's stuff, you know, that's when I would start getting pretty vociferous and nasty and say you can't do that and fight him and that's when you need to fight that's the good trouble we're talking about when you when you get across the government when you when you've got to become an activist when you have to stick up for yourself because the government will overreach they will take your stuff they have they did and they're going to continue to do so until you know we have kind of the environment that we have right now where they're gonna, you know, it's it's up to the equals and they have to start respecting the co-equal voices of Congress because the numbers are right on top of them. It, these Democrats have the House and the Senate but by a very, very slim margin and by one vote or one seat, one or two seats, it's gonna slip right out of their grasp. So now they need to start working again. Like, go, go, go back to work, work with the other side, and start listening to, to some of the testimony of the American people. 
And that requires them to do some actual work instead of railing at Donald Trump, which was an easy job. You know, you have one target, you show up at 8 a.m. and keep shooting at it until you leave at 5. And that's not what you can do anymore. Your job has changed. So as a sidebar, I also wanted to say that I've noticed NPR is becoming a propaganda arm to mark the U.S. Democratic Party's political opponents. And these are people like QAnon, uh, the Capitol, in incursionists, you know, labeled insurrectionists by the Associated Press. Um, these would be also Alex Jones. Yeah, these are people that, that the Democratic Party, you know, marked with a hex and said, you shall not be, we don't like you, we, we curse you off the, the face of the earth, and you're everything that we don't like, you are non-personas. If they could strip them of their citizenship, I'm sure they would do it, but that's not legal. So they're just using the press arm, which is kind of a, you know, it's like using Canada to to shame somebody who lives in Western Washington. It's just kind of kind of an end around. Anyways, NPR is not like the epitome of responsible like journalism right now. They're they're using the resources to to hit out at commercial competitors on the air. People who are who are putting out news and information that they they don't sanction. That's also a, a suppression of speech just because they don't like their speech or won't validate their speech doesn't mean it's not true now facts and truth can be provable but it would require npr to put some resources probably taxpayer resources on fact checking everything that qanon puts on you know Kun or whatever but qanon is kind of like a non sequitur right now they're no longer really a thing and that was because trump left office QAnon was, was a, a, a vehicle, a political vehicle to, to kind of agitate more um, surrounding support for, for Donald Trump for some reason. And, you know, that's probably why I didn't get it. I'm not a, an intuitive um, person who gets Donald Trump. And, you know, that's okay. I'm a libertarian. I didn't vote for him. I didn't vote for him in 2016. I don't feel bad about it. But a lot of both sides wanted to pitch garbage on me because I didn't do what they wanted. But that's not unusual in politics. That's just what happens. So I just wanted to say this is not how I want my tax dollars administrated um, in context of radio. I live in a Democratic district. So if anybody who represents me here is an earshot of this program... I don't want NPR to sanction Alex Jones, call for a boycott. That's not what government tax dollars are meant to do. And you can't even dispatch someone out there and call it reporting. It's just a hit job. So it's just shameful. Alex Jones is, is obviously a kind of a, a baddie guy. He's not somebody I'd listen to myself on the radio, but that doesn't mean I don't respect his speech or his rights to, to have speech and be free of, you know, policing by NPR. It's weird. So that's a, that's a no-winner situation, and 
you know, but that's not the point. The point is if public policy can be improved, it should be. You know, because the taxpayers are, are compelled to pay for it. You know, improve the offering to the public because that's the right thing to do. That's the moral thing to do. If you want to be a moral government, get up and go to work and do your job. Perform the, the rudimentary functions of operating the government in an administrative way that is at least adequate or above adequate. Give us a B-level performance. If you can't, just do C and we'll move on. But it's, it's time to stop screaming at people with better policies that are going to make the government function and stop shouting them down and pummeling them because it might actually improve things. Uh, you know, you can scream at idea makers, but they're not going to take all those ideas back. They'll either thread them through the private sector or they'll go to the rival party, but they're going to find a way if they're determined. And that's how competition works. And you can't always get over on your competition. You know, if you're smart, you you make a way to see what if they have anything of value. But if you don't have a place for them, then, then you don't try to destroy them. You know, you can disagree with anyone. Negotiate with anyone. Or you can bow out and come up with your own song and dance. That's okay, too. However, people who are stakeholders in public policy have just as much right to be there and to advocate answers to problems just like the prevailing party and just like you. I think it's time to surrender to the art of debate and begin speaking again candidly in a civil tone so that good or at least better things can happen. So far, Biden is an okay administrator. Uh, his priorities are skewed partisan left, and some of the administrators don't actually do any work, but, you know, we still have a functioning democracy in a meritoriously balanced Congress. That That's a lot. And you can get more done now in, in a functional way if you try. But you have to, you know, go through the motions and, and put one foot in front of the other and open your mouth and face each other and talk. So that's, that's all I wanted to say about that. So the last thing, I filed a FOIA on the number of CCP nationals working at the city of Bellevue. That has been acknowledged by the city of Bellevue. Um, some results will be forthcoming. And uh, whatever I learn, I will, I will share with you. So um, that's all for this week's sanctioned citizen update. Do not lose hope. Um, the COVID-19 dilemma will resolve itself eventually. I am your hostess, Tempest Del Fuego. <laughs>